Hey, it's the King Plum. It's been three days since the mass shooting in the high school in Florida. And as expected, everything is going according to how it's always gone. One side pleads and cries for gun reform and gun control, and the other side says, it's far too soon, and how can you possibly politicize this issue? Especially at a time like this. Thoughts and prayers are sent buzzing around social media, and days pass, and everything is swept under the rug except for the grief of those families and friends who have lost loved ones. A pattern very similar to this has been repeating itself for a couple of decades, at least. Nothing has changed, and more lives are lost. And yet, as a country, as a nation, we claim life is so valuable. We can aim to use the power of our vote come midterm elections, but at this point, it hasn't proven very helpful in this area. Instead, I would say we need to follow the money. We know that the NRA is a very powerful lobbying force. They put money in politicians' pockets. They shut down any research into gun violence. And the list goes on. They have many organizations underneath their umbrella organization. Not everything they do is bad. And interestingly enough, most of their money does not come from gun sales. It comes from small donations, from average citizens, where the max donation legally permitted is $5,000 per year. Okay, so really, if the money is in our hands and we want change, why isn't it happening? I think it comes down to propaganda and mixed messages. If gun owners and non-gun owners could come together with one message and present it to the NRA and say, this is what we want. And then those supporting the NRA financially say, if you don't give it to us, we're going to withhold our funds. Then, then maybe, headway could be made. I see three bullet points that I think most people could agree on. If we must be of legal age to drink, buy cigarettes, or vote, then there should be a legal age to buy a gun. If someone was convicted of a violent crime or domestic abuse, then after they're released from prison, there should be a period of a number of years before they can purchase a gun. And finally, universal background checks. If NRA members and financial supporters pushed for the NRA to financially back these ideas with politicians, then maybe something different could happen than what's been happening year after year after year. They have a budget of millions, and most of that, most of that comes from citizens and small donations. Those donations that are under $5,000 per year per individual. As non-gun owners, I think it's up to us to have conversations with those who do financially support the NRA and ask them questions. If, if we have to have an age requirement to vote 
or to buy alcohol and so on, do you think there should be an age limit to buy a gun? And, and if they don't think there should be an age limit, then to ask them why. And, and, and not to attack them, just to ask questions. And if they do come around, then ask them. If they're not willing to withhold their funds, then ask them if they're at least willing to request that their money to the NRA be redirected to an area that does not support um, hindering the implementation of such laws. I don't know if something like this would work, and I think it's a bit of a long shot, but how do you go about attacking a behemoth like the NRA? I think you hit it in the wallet, you know, a slow, gradual choking out. You want to live? Then let us live. Not only should there be a legal age where one is required to have a gun, but psychological testing needs to be done on those who buy a gun of a legal age. And I think that psychological testing and some sort of counseling should be required of all students that attend school. And um, homeschool needs to be investigated as well. Um, I think a lot of things need to be investigated more and everybody needs to be psychologically tested as they are kids um, just for the sake of making sure that nobody is harmful to others or to themselves. There needs to be a lot more psychology put into place when it comes to even basic school. Hey Jessica, lots of interesting things here to dig into. I could see a psych eval being implemented in order to purchase a gun. I mean, there are several hoops that we jump in order to get a driver's license or a passport. And we do those voluntarily, including spending the money to jump those hoops. I don't know if the idea would even fly to implement a psych eval, but if it did, I think follow-up evals would have to be done on a semi-regular basis. And I don't know if that's like once a year or what that is. But we already have something similar to that with respect to driver's licenses. Like if you have certain health conditions, you have to have a physical done every so often. And when you do reach a certain age, you have to have that physical done and you have to take the actual driving test again. And you have to do that sometimes every year in order to renew your driver's license. So maybe the psych eval, when it's initially done, might have different stipulations for different people depending on what that, like what the results are the first time through. I don't know, I'm sort of spitballing here. This next one, uh, psych evals for students in order to protect themselves and others. This one uh, kind of makes me, uh, I, I want to stiff arm the idea. Now, I don't have kids, okay? But I could very easily see something like this, if approved, moving from students into the adult world. So let's just shift it there for a minute. We're in a work environment and everyone is required to have a psych eval. I don't know about you, but I find the idea a bit intrusive. For one, who is rating my psychological state? 
Uh, where is this information going? And how is it being rated? So uh, how safe is safe enough, right? And what if I reach that borderline, but in all reality, I am safe? I think the next question is, is when am I responsible for my own behavior? And when do you become responsible for it? So when do you report me to whoever does the testing for my psych eval? And then what kind of an environment does this create when we are all looking at each other to say, are you safe? Are you safe? And to some extent, we have to trust the person doing the testing to be objective. Yeah, some of this seems a bit extreme, but sometimes I think a, a small step and a small step and a small step can lead somewhere we never wanted to go. I think if we had more testing to determine learning styles and challenges that may be faced in the classroom, that may better serve students. But the next question is, is how do we fund something like that, especially when things like average uh, supplies are hard to come by even now. I think you're absolutely right when it comes to homeschooling. There needs to be much more regulating going on there, from the curriculum to determining how students are advancing in their learning to sometimes even the environment that they're learning in and the qualifications of who's teaching them from their background and whether they're even safe for the students to be around. And frankly, if that teacher is even literate themselves. I've seen some students come out of homeschooling and they are astonishing at what they've learned and where they're going with their lives. And then I have seen the polar opposite. And I think in order to keep that as an option, there does need to be some sort of regulation. Anyway, uh, thanks, Jessica. You brought lots of interesting topics here. And I'm, I'm very glad to hear another female voice calling in because <laughs> we don't get that very often here, especially since Georgie D has left for a while. So thanks for calling in. No offense, boys. I love hearing your calls, and I love having discussions with you, but sometimes I feel a little lonely around here. So this is an issue I don't even know. To attack it with po politics, is it's never worked before. And as many of these school shootings that have happened, people don't get it. And most of the time that these guns fall in the wrong hands... It is a psychological issue. And most of the time, they've acquired guns through legal means or they've taken it from their families. The question is, is, you know, our Second Amendment rights, it's, it's important. But the implication of what we do, if we take that right away, how it angers so many people. I don't think it's such an easy answer to come to but I think that most of the violence comes through people that have acquired guns through legal means. So it is more of a mental issue, I think. Hey, Jason. Yeah, I think you're right. This is a much, much bigger issue than politics. But I do think that politics plays a role in this. 
I think something like I suggested could be seen as something like an opening gambit. But this issue is so massive that it is a really long-term project. And I think we're talking about a bit of an overhaul. First, I think people need economic security. And I know that kind of seems like a loaded phrase, and there's a lot that could be meant by that. But I think to start, the minimum wage would need to be raised significantly because not much has happened in that department since, well, for decades now, especially when you consider that inflation has continued to move and the minimum wage has not. When people are making more money, they spend more. That means more products are needed to be created, produced, and the cycle continues. More importantly, it means that at home, stress is reduced. And I think that there are ripple-on effects from all of that. So changing the minimum wage, I think, comes back to politics. Second, and this touches on what you were talking about, is the topic of health care. If there was a basic level of coverage for everyone, and no one had to fear going to the doctor because of that bill, that would change so much in every area of health. And since it's covered then, I think even more so, the stigma about mental health would continue to dissipate. And so healthcare, again, comes back to the topic of politics. And this third one, I think, is really important, but almost a bit nuanced. It's in how we nurture and educate our students. It's in coming alongside them, not talking down to them. It's a bit hard to explain, but if I put this in an exaggerated situation of looking at prisoners, uh, most of the time, people look at them as the worst of the worst, and they are unredeemable. But if you see them as people, and you give them tools and resources, and you encourage them to be the best people they can be, you equip them to re-enter society. You don't speak to them as if they're convicts or as if they're evil. You speak to them as if they're someone who made a mistake and they're learning a new way of life. They begin to see themselves differently. They begin to learn and grow and achieve and improve themselves. When this approach is taken with students, instead of seeing themselves as not getting out of their part of the world or not being able to become a doctor or a pilot or whatever it is they might want to be, they now see the sky as the limit or hell, space as the final frontier, you know? I think that when we see our students that way, when we speak to them that way, we treat them that way, their outlook on life is so different. And then, and then, who wants to pick up a gun at that point? And if, if they do, they will stand out so starkly against the rest of their fellow students, they'll be easier to spot. And not because there's someone we want to pick out and throw away, but because there's someone that we care about and we want better for. Okay, okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox there, but 
Um, when we hear the phrase, a gun was legally purchased, that is very loosely defined. So we should be asking our sources or the media how this gun was specifically acquired. State laws are different than federal, and most states are all individually different. In fact, in 2016, more than half of the states did not all require things like a permit to purchase or to register the weapon or to have an owner's license or even a permit to carry. Not even all sellers are required to do a background check. I think consistency across the board is something that politics could address. So there has been some recent developments since I recorded earlier. There are at least two major school walkouts being planned to call on lawmakers to address gun violence and enact gun control. One is happening on March 14th, and it is uh, being promoted by Women's March, and they're calling for students, teachers, and allies to walk out at 10 a.m. for 17 minutes. But many are saying that 17 minutes is not nearly enough. So on the anniversary of Columbine on April 20th, there's going to be a walkout at 10 a.m. And the plan is to stay out and peacefully protest until lawmakers decide to do something. One tweet I saw said that if every student aged 15 to 24 in U.S. schools and colleges took part in this walkout, that would mean that there were 43 million students demonstrating for gun reform. So this doesn't include teachers or allies, just students. I fully support both of these walkouts, though I think that the second one that's done on April 20th is going to have a greater impact than the first. I think it has the potential to shake the very foundation of Capitol Hill. These students don't want to die. They don't want to see their friends die. These teachers feel the same way, and I think that as allies or family members or friends, that all of us should support them in this. In Capitol Hill, you better start preparing a solution. When two sides come to battle, and one comes to survive, and the other is paid to be there, we know who typically wins out.